When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hoyland waiting in the middle. There was good movement here from McTominay. And he's got four in the box to aim at. What a start this is for Manchester United. Favreau's giving it away. United counter here with Bruno Fernandes. And Garnacho's got Hoyland up with him. He might not need him. Hoyland's there to get his second for Manchester United on the night. He's loving it out there. There is an ongoing check for a potential red card here. So he's got to protect the ball, but as we can all see, his studs on the shin, it's going to be a red. Only player at the back post is turned in! It's Elianusi! He's given it to penalty to Copenhagen! In added time at the end of this first half. And Copenhagen are going to have the chance to equalise from the spot. It's a Maguire handball, I think, Adam. Gonçalves. off the head of Maguire and there's no distance at all is there but the referee's decision is coming it's a penalty the captain to restore the lead Fernandez scores for Manchester United emphatically but plenty of white shirts in there for Copenhagen just over the head of Dix came out to Leer Felk again Oh, great ball, and Leah was in there! It's all square! Another cross in. Rudy Bandaji! It's the teenager for Copenhagen! Who's put them in front for the first time in the game with three minutes to go! It's a calamity! In Copenhagen for Manchester United, a major setback in their hopes of qualification. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm sat here with Carl Anker and Andy Mitten and we are 24 hours on from what on earth happened in Copenhagen. I don't know exactly the right word to describe it. Hopefully we'll find the right words throughout the course of this podcast. Obviously we'll reflect on Manchester United losing another football match, everything that went on in that crazy match on Wednesday evening. And we'll also begin to look ahead to Luton as well and talk about some of the injury issues for Manchester United too. But Carl, Andy, the reason we're only recording now is because we've all just about got somewhere to record. You two have just arrived home. Carl, was your dinner on the table when you walked through the door about two minutes ago? Uh, there's a lovely Nando's voucher waiting for me, so I'll redeem that in a bit. Nice. <laughs> right, let's... Do we do it pleasantries or do we just get into it, Andy? What do you reckon? Let's just get stuck into it, mate. Yeah. Uh, what's the word you'd use to describe whatever that was then last night? Wank. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Thanks for making me laugh. Yeah. It was, wasn't it, really? Well, the first first half an hour wasn't. No. It was like, way Manchester United are A, playing well, have gone ahead and, and scored a second goal. This isn't supposed to happen. You're supposed to win matches by one goal and be completely outplayed. So that first half hour, I mean, I'm just going to enjoy every single second of this. They were really good. Really good. Really good. Goals in front of the away end. It was a really sort of beery, lively away end. It was, it was a very hard ticket. Life was wonderful because we've had so much pain this season and it just looked like, okay, so I'm calculating it all. Six points now, go to Istanbul in a couple of weeks. 
And then badness happened, darkness descended. Marcus was was sent off and the the game twisted and turned on that on that one decision. Just before we get into the red card and obviously the, the sort of crazy final ten minutes of that that first half, um Rasmus Hoyland, Carl, can you imagine being him sliding on his knees at the stadium where you know you would have grown up dreaming of playing, not necessarily for Manchester United. He's been rejected by him. He's been sort of knocked back by them and then he comes back into the ground and scores twice within the first half an hour or so to put his new team 2-0 in front, cruising. He must have been on top of the world at that point. Oh, it was so good. He also had a moment where he could have got the hat-trick as well. He had two moments, didn't he? I was looking, So the, the, the second goal, the counter-attack, that, the first goal is brilliant. That is Ten Hag football. Settled possession, back four, Two defensive midfielders ahead. Nice, you know, overload one side and make the switch. Really, really good reverse pass from Wan-Bissaka. So, so are you classifying that as a, as a Ten Hag goal then? Because we, we haven't had many of those, have we? That is Ten Hag football as what, as what I've seen at Ajax. Settled possession, overloading one side, switching it to the other side. One player being really brave on the dribble. You had Wan-Bissaka being really, really good as a fullback with that reverse pass as well. Really, really like Scott McTominay. Not dinking it, but actually hammering across goal. And you've got a striker doing a striker's movement to get back post. And you're going, yes, that that's football. That's not scratchy, whatever. That is replicable. And then the second goal is the counter-attack. I'm going, here we go. Transition football as well. They're scoring in more than one way. I'm so happy right now. And then, oh, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I think the thing with Hoyland, so the thing with Hoyland is he's definitely warming up. And if you can keep doing things like the first goal, he will get you goals. Hoyland should be looking at Saturday's fixture against Luton and going, this is where I break my Premier League duck. You should be looking at that Champions League golden boot race going, yeah, I'm I'm top. I'm tied top with Morata. I, I can get a couple more before this campaign is, group stage campaign is finished. Let me put it that way. It's mad that he's the fastest player to five Champions League goals in, in Manchester United's history, Andy, but every single goal's coming to defeat. It takes some doing that, doesn't it? It is mad. The, the five goals and no goals in the league. He took them really well. I know they weren't the most difficult finishes, but even the Copenhagen fans I spoke to around me, they didn't wish ill of him. They understood why he'd gone. They were proud of him. His brothers are both still at the club. And I wouldn't say they wanted him to do well specifically last night, but no, the, you know, plenty of players leave clubs and get booed and jeered, and it was the opposite of him. And it just like like being set up to be the perfect night for him, like Galatasaray. Yeah, even before then, Johnny Evans was fine for the first fifteen minutes, and he he went off injured. Rafael Varane, I don't know what's going on to Rafael Varane's form. We're going to start talking about the bad bits soon. Yeah, let's do it. The red card, Carl. What do you think? Oh, it's one of them. I, I, I keep thinking back to early 2019, Paul Pogba against PSG. Yeah, you put it in your piece on The Athletic. I, I knew I'd seen that challenge somewhere before. So I'm, I'm in there and I saw my friend, Suede said, Paul Pogba used to do that. There's not really a, a word for that move. So my friend called it a spin shield. So you sort of... You're trying to you you're trying to protect the ball from someone coming in, so you move your free leg, you step it over the ball, and then you try and get your hips in the way. Now, when Pogba did it, so Pogba did it in February 2019 in the Premier League, caught Deli Ali on the thigh, got a yellow card with it. A month later, did it, caught Dani Alves on the shin with it, red card, boom. And it's one of those tackles that I think if. Marcus Rashford does that against Wolves or, you know, and he likes to bring up Bournemouth or, or a Bournemouth player in the Premier League, you're going to get maybe a booking. What's also telling is that there's no, there was no screen in parking. There was no screen out in front of my desk in the stadium either. So when it goes VAR check, red card, all the journalists are looking left and right going, hang on, what's going on? I'm not. We were completely baffled as to what was going on. Yeah. I saw no Copenhagen players complaining, asking for a red card. Also, in the, while there's no screen of replay, you've got the scoreboard. So the scoreboard then said VAR check complete. So I'm going, okay, fine. I don't know what we were looking for, but that's all finished. And then there's another pause. 
and then eventually the referee comes in and word starts filtering around the ground. I've got the press box wasn't separated from the rest of the fans. So I had two, you know, I had a row of Danish fans behind me all eating popcorn. One taps me on the shoulder, goes, it's for Rashford. I'm going, oh, okay. And then eventually you see the movement and you see Rashford's foot on, on Gillette's uh, ankle. And you're like, yep, that is... That is a red card in the Champions League, and and it was it was in all this slow motion stuff. Oh, that's the annoying aspect, isn't it? Do, do you know when it's he runs annoying. over to the the screen? I mm-hmm. don't know if you guys would have seen this being inside the stadium, but it's like the worst possible freeze frame ready for the decision to be made, which to me feels just artificial. That no referee makes a decision, you know, with a freeze frame in mind during a game. So to, to then have that sort of waiting for him as he runs over. It almost feels like, you know, you may as well just have make the decision for him if you're going to do that. It, when, when I say that's a red card in the Champions League, the key word is in the Champions League. Uh, um, there officials from all over Europe, slightly different leeway on the physicality levels. And like you said, on, on the VAR incident, they've gone for the most impactful image and the thing the referee's seen is Rashford's foot and it's planted on a player's ankle and the player's foot has buckled. So therefore that is judged to be dangerous. He's judged to be, is, is dangerous and it could injure a football player. It's laws of the Champions League, off you go. If that was the Premier League, I really don't think that's a, that's a sending off. But in the Champions League it is. So then you have to deal with it. And Manchester United did not. Manchester United really struggled to hold on to leads. Mm-hmm. It's become a big problem. Uh, the VAR thing is changing the way I watch football and not in a good way. I, I love football. I love the spontaneity of it. I'm now finding that when a goal is scored, fans are holding back a celebration for as long as... F- at Fulham at the weekend, it was four and a half minutes. It's it's ridiculous. One of the reasons football is great is because it's quick, it's spontaneous, it's easy. And... It's fundamentally changing the way we watch football, the way it's written about. It's dominating the the discourse around football. It's headline news every other day. I just don't like it. I get the arguments for it, but I just don't think it's working. A four and a half minute stoppage. It was ridiculous at Fulham. And then we had it again last night. And when the referee goes over, you're expecting bad news because he's been, been called over. And I'm not just talking about this from a Manchester United perspective. And United seem to be getting it harsh at the moment with VAR. And Eric Ten Hag alluded to this last night after the game. I speak to fans of other clubs. No one's in love with it. People don't like it. They don't like what it's doing. And I don't think they're looking through the past saying everything was perfect because it clearly wasn't. But finding a sub-clause 28.B to say that that goal isn't a goal because that guy's fingernail, which he hadn't cut and he said he would, was offside. It's getting ridiculous. They wouldn't count fingernails, Andy. It has to be a goal scoring part of the body. So, don't, you know. <laughs> it's got to be below, <laughs> it's got to be below the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> You're right though. And and I think last night, the, the Rashford decision, you, you said it before, Carl, like no, no one even knew what was going on, you know. And even when I saw it back on the telly at home, um, or in the pub, maybe I should, should say where I was actually. Um, I thought they were looking at his hand. I thought I thought he'd sort of like palmed off the player with his hand. I didn't even look for the foot. When you see it and when it's freeze-framed and slow-moed however many times, like you say, you know, you can construct the argument that it's a red card. But, you know, it, that, the handball that, that is given for the Bruno Fernandes penalty, I mean, that it's just not handball, is it? You know, uh, it's one of those the one things given but- for... Copenhagen was bad on Varane and Maguire. I don't, I don't even know who handballed it there. Both of them did in a way, like you know. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. I checked. I checked the UEFA thing, and but it's just. It, not. I, think, I, th- I believe that. I believe Copenhagen's penalty came from either or. Both of them could have been a judge to have been a handleball decision. Yeah. And this is so. Sort of, Copenhagen's penalty is not a VAR problem. It is a specific handball problem. The handball rule in the Champions League is a complete mess. I I would much I I would like that rule to be rewritten. I think the you know the, the most memorable change happened after the 2019 season that was won by Liverpool. <coughs> uh, and now it's got this it basically punishes defenders for having arms. 
And I do remember I was in the match discussion page where Fernandez got his penalty, and I was saying, "This isn't football, but okay. If if one is a penalty, then the other one is a penalty. So here we are. At least are. it's it, consistent. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Crafton tweeted is absolutely unhinged, but at least it's consistent. And I I don't. It doesn't sit well with my spirit. And maybe this is me getting on a bit. And maybe this, you know I've I've crossed the threshold of watching too many games of football. But there is a rule book that exists in my head that I haven't updated. I haven't downloaded the latest version of the UEFA handbook yet. And I and UEFA and all the referees keep telling us, no, you have to read the handbook every, before a Champions League game so you know how the rules have changed and you can't just pretend f- football hasn't changed since 2014. And I just want to go, just go back to 2018. It, it wasn't that bad back in the day. Come on. Eric Tenag as well, Andy, had complaint at their first goal for, for offside because there was a player stood in front of Andre Onana, a bit like the, the Burnley Johnny Evans header that was ruled out, I guess. We started the game so well, well best minutes of this season. We are winning the game and I think the red card changes everything. And then we could see two goals before halftime, which should never have count. First is offside, second the penalty, and that is... Uh, in four games, four, four penalties against, and where I say three are very debatable. I'm very disappointed about such decisions. I think the game is never meant uh, to be uh, like this. And this has nothing to do with with football. Uh, with uh, uh, decisions has to be made, and I accept that there are also uh, wrong decisions are made. But if I sum it up, when you make on this level. Uh, three such tough decisions uh, you control the game and I think the game is never meant to be for that the question is really do you, do you think there's anything United could do or Ten Hag could do to be stronger to try and try and influence what's happening it feels like with Manchester United this season and decisions I don't think we want him to go Mikhail Arteta and start writing weird letters and things like that but is there anything that could be done well I mean fans seem to be absolutely apoplectic about this at the moment or Jurgen Klopp and demand replays. No, I don't like what either of them two were doing. No. But I think United are getting it rough at the moment. And it's been happening throughout the season. The injuries on top of that. Ten Hag stressed that he didn't want it to sound like an excuse. I don't have any magical answers here. What do you do? I think Ten Hag actually... Asked for a replay. I think Ten Hag does need to be a bit more like Arteta. Do you? Unfortunately... In what well, way, Carl? I, th- I well, think he can't freeze his air because he ain't got any. <laughs> get, get a Lego block. I sat in parking after the game and waiting for Ten Hag. And part of me, the the irrational Manchester United fan of me that I try and put away on match day now because I've got to do my job. Part of me really wanted him to come out and be steaming at the referee. I really aren't. Part of me went, come out, call the referee as such and such and such and such. Be willing to take a fine, but just put it out there. That what is the current litany of refereeing decisions that aren't going your way is a nonsense and something needs to be done. Referees are human, even the person behind VAR, and sometimes they get a bit scared if you apply pressure. And Ten Hag is, like you said earlier, he alluded to these referee decisions not going his way. And it was only when he was asked directly, do you think these were correct decisions? He went, come on. Whereas what I wanted him to do was... Can't believe I'm about to say this. I wanted him to give it a bit of Jose Mourinho. Oh wow! Just sometimes, if you want something sorted in the short term, it can be beneficial to be a bit of an oink. Um, I'll put my hands up. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> Do you agree, Andy? Be a bit more like Sir Alex Ferguson because <laughs> he he was good at it. I wouldn't object to it as a as a Manchester United fan. Just don't over it. Love to. Desired outcome. I suppose he feels like he's doing it from a position of weakness as well because United are yeah. losing matches and it never it never always comes across as well, does it, when you're in that sort of position? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's talk about something else than referees and VAR because there was other issues for United, wasn't there? I mean, the concern, Andy, was that even with 10 men away at Copenhagen 2-0 up, you need to be able to see out that first half without imploding the way that they did because this is a pattern of behaviour again for the team, isn't it? To concede two in quick succession. Repeat behaviour, it keeps happening and it's extremely concerning. I was surprised how brightly United actually came out in the second half and Bruno took a fantastic uh, penalty. I'm worried about some of the changes that Ten Hag makes, some of his in-game management as well. What, what um, concerns you about yesterday? I think there were errors from individual players. Um, some of the defence, I thought Rafael Varane looks pretty unconvincing. wasn't overly impressed by Garnacho. I'm still to be convinced that he is a Manchester United first team standard player. That said, he's still very young. I understand why Eriksen was brought off to be replaced by Amrabat. Amrabat, I've not really been impressed by him, but he was needed as a defensive midfielder. Um, Hoyland had taken his, his chances absolutely fine. Dolo, I thought, was pretty poor again. So we can look at individuals and we can look at the game plan which Eric Tenarg's got. You know, a few weeks ago I said that the messages weren't getting through to the players. And I stood by it. I meant it then and, and I mean it now. So Tenag is um, extremely detailed and precise and the opposite of a putting his arm around the shoulder, come on, we're going to do these today. It's, this is going to happen and Fulham's fullback is going to do this and then possibly this and then this and this and this. And stage 27 is going to be at this point. And what you've got to do, and some of these very detailed instructions are not getting through to the players. And that is showing in matches. That's partly on the players, but it's also partly on the manager to get a tune out of those players. I don't envy his position in the slightest with the injuries because it's one thing after another at the moment. All the best players now, all of them from last season, are either injured or hopelessly out of form. I don't know why that's happened. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why Manchester United have lost nine games so far. I couldn't see it coming. It's baffling. Not drawn a single game. Some of the stats are just mental. Hardly scoring, conceding loads, Hoyland not scoring in the league, doing really well for goals in, in the Champions League. Defeats in the Champions League, yeah. But, you know, lost three out of four. The, the, the bottom line is this is nowhere near good enough for Manchester United. Nowhere near. And something has to change because if it doesn't, the manager's going to lose his job. And I don't sense any appetite for him losing his job at the moment. But I remember being in Atalanta and speaking to people and there was no appetite for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer losing his job either. But within a month, he didn't have a job at Manchester United. And if this keeps going on, people don't want change and change and change again. But... He cannot keep his job. If he loses the next six matches, which I don't think will happen, but something has to change and something has to improve because the pressure is going to build and build and build. And it's building already. Look at the league table. And I said at the start of this month, this is a huge month. I wrote an article in The Athletic about it. November is a massive month. And it started badly. It started really out of the League Cup. Bottom of the league in the Champions League group stage. It's bizarre, but United could still go through this Champions League group. Despite having won only one from three. If Manchester United get a result in Galatasaray, 
and at home to Bayern Munich. I just can't see it happening at the moment. I spoke to so many fans yesterday. Nobody thought United would win in Copenhagen. Now, that's bizarre in itself. They'd not won. Uh, when was the last time they won at home in the Champions League before last night as well? It, it was, it was, the stat was ridiculous. Was it about 16 matches or something stupid? Yeah, I said it. Carl was going to say it. And scored against England's opposition in 12, 12 games. Uh, and they scored four against Manchester United. It's interesting, Andy, that you said you were concerned as to whether players were being responsive. Before the game, it was Christian Eriksen and Ten Hag in a press conference. And I I, wanted, I asked Ten Hag to elaborate on a quote he gave before Fulham, where he said, the team has to be able to press at all levels. And I said, please elaborate on this. And he sort of didn't answer the question, but elaborated something else where... Instead of all levels as in levels of the pitch, he said, what's interesting is you have to have the correct formation and then the player in possession needs to understand when is the right time to, to pass, when's the right time to run and when's the right time to press. Uh, and sort of, it was one of those answers that I went, okay, didn't get the answer expected, but this is quite illuminating. And I put it to Ericsson and I said, Ericsson, what Ten Hag's describing gives you a lot of freedom to decide what to do when you're in possession and where to move. Do you find that encouraging and freeing? Ericsson, in his very polite manner, said, yeah, I enjoy it. He said, it's very demanding, but I enjoy it a lot. And it was one of those answers where I'm looking at Ericsson, I'm going, you grew up in the Ajax system. You grew up in the Ajax system. You've played on the managers like Pochettino and Conte. You, okay, for very obvious health reasons, you, you aren't the physical prospect you used to be but understand understanding when to pass when to move and what areas of the field you need to occupy you get that quite well and I do worry if every United player has the footballing IQ or or, or the co- they don't or the cognitive ability to understand what Ten Hag wants in the same way Ericsson does and I think you look at that squad you look at that, that starting 11 yesterday and Johnny Evans seems like he understands what Ten Hag's asking for him Aaron Rambasaka is getting better at it, but I, I'm still reluctant to say he understands it 100%. Ericsson gets it. I believe Amrabat was brought in because he is supposed to get it, but unfortunately, I don't think he's got the physical capacity or indeed he's low in confidence right now. He lost possession like three times in the first 10 minutes. Bruno Fernandes seems to grasp some of it, but Bruno Fernandes is a madman. So... If whenever he gets the ball, he's going to try and pass it forward, even though Ten Hag's like, no, look up, think. Rashford seems to get some of it. Garnacho seems to get some of it. Hoyland seems to get it, some of it as well. So you've got this thing where you've got players that the players that understand what Ten Hag wants perhaps haven't got the physical capacity to do it for 90 minutes. And the players that can run around for 90 minutes perhaps haven't got either the technical ability or the above shoulders capacity to completely understand what Ten Hag wants and I just keep thinking to the third goal where Dallo looks over his shoulder sees an attacker and then doesn't do anything when the ball comes over to the back post he should know better and he should be stronger when that ball comes over to, for that third goal but it's not there and it's it's frustrating it's really frustrating Manchester United conceded 92 seconds after Marcus Rashford got sent off 12 minutes after Rashford's red card, it was 2-2. That's not good enough. You can, yes. It's not good enough. The referee and the VAR, you've been shafted here or there, but you need to have a form of resilience. You need to have someone on the field go, look, you're not going to get any favours from the referee. Still nil-nil. Switch on. Do your job. Um, And I I just, I don't see enough from the players right now. Uh, Maybe Ten Hag needs to change his approach. Maybe you shouldn't go up to bullet point 29 explain what the what f- the fullback's doing maybe he's got to condense that to five but it's just so they sometimes they seem like they're about to get it and then they don't and it's so frustrating and the end result is that this season has been a disaster so far it's got echoes of louis van harlis he's got this perfect idea of where the play should be on the pitch and after a period of time he just came to the conclusion privately, the players here cannot do what I, I want them to do. This is Van Hal. Van Hal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not before bombing out players like Johnny Evans, for example. Ironically, Johnny's now getting selected for the, his qualities, which <laughs> is seen as being proactive, seen as aggressive, seen as understanding the badge, being able to fight uh, for the badge. 
And these qualities have now led to him starting matches, which I don't even think he expected at the start of this season. Of course, injuries as well. There's a lack of leaders in the team. There's a lack of leaders right throughout the team. The spine of the team from last season has gone. The midfield gets run off all the time. That's been the most alarming. Even players who run with the markers like Christian Eriksen, you get players who drift off them. And you've got the leadership group. So who is it? You've got Bruno. I'm told I'm told he's good in the dressing room, to be fair to him, and tries. Um, you've got Luke Shaw, who's injured. You've got Harry Maguire, whose status has, has changed a lot. You'd look to senior players like Casemiro, not about. Lissandro Martinez, not senior, but clearly, you know, very vocal. Rafael Varane, seen it all, won the lot. And it's just not there. And it was put to me recently, compare that with Manchester City's leader group. Where's a natural aggression in the side? You know, people looking for Tyrell Malassia to come back because he's got natural aggression. I think Aaron coming back has been a plus. I like him. He looks good. He looks on it as well. I stood in the tunnel before the game last night. The massive, the players, you know, even the refs were big. You know, when you're watching them mm-hmm. from, or, or, <laughs> I know it sounds stupid here. No, you're right. But even the refs but, were big. The refs were massive. They look proper <laughs> units, like proper gym heads. And we normally speak to them as journalists after the game when their demeanour is very different. I've seen them in the tunnel. They're all really pumped up. It was great to watch it. You sort of want to go out. They're ready to go into war. Hang on a minute. What were you doing in the tunnel admiring the size of referees' oh. calves? <laughs> I didn't say I was admiring the calves. Well, you right. sort of did, yeah. So I met said there were gym heads. I met their ultras, right? And they're very, very influential within the club. It's a really good system where the people who run the club go, we're not going to even pretend we know about fan culture. We've not lived it. You you do it. And that's what you saw at Old Trafford was a result of that. And at the end of me interviewing them, one of them went, we need a little favour from you now. We really like and respect away fans travelling. We want a young United fan from that end to be the lead mascot and walk out with Bruno Fernandes. Can you help us? Wow. I know. Uh, the person's got to be aged between six and eight. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I mean, look at the away end. It's full of lads who've had six, six to eight pints, yep. but yeah. not, age, not age six to eight. Spoke to um, Lenny from United. Good lad. He said, right, I'm going to try and help you here. He said, we're not getting the age profile. So I made my way down to the away end with the Copenhagen ultra leaders with uh, Copenhagen coats on. So have you just got like the keys to the park and stadium at this point to go wherever you like to get the mascots with the ultras? Correct. He gave me a green pass. <laughs> so that just shows how powerful they are. Yeah. And then Lenny went, bingo, got a lad here, Leo, six years old. I went down to meet Leo. He looked a bit overwhelmed by what was happening. I'm not surprised, yeah. Copenhagen Ultraman then goes in the middle of the most boisterous part of the United end and tells him that this is Leo and he's going to be the mascot. Half the United fans going, whoa, what's going on here? There's a fellow with a Copenhagen jacket on who's a big unit, by the way. Bigger than the ref. <laughs> ref size unit. <laughs> <laughs> and then Leo's mum and dad, they're loving it because Leo's going to walk out with Bruno Fernandes. They said, can you stay with us? So I'm supposed to be writing a match report here, but all right, I'll stay with you. So I go into a room and there's 21 Danish kids preparing to be mascots. And Leo's mum said, they look like they do this every week. Leo goes in as the young red and starts to relax because there's loads of kids around. Then we walk through to the tunnel and that's when the the gym-sized refs came through. <laughs> a couple of the United players saw me and looked at me, what on earth are you doing here? I'm like, I, I, I can't explain this story like I just have done to the podcast. Bruno Fernandez sees Leo, really good with him. Rasmus Hoyland was fantastic, speaking in Danish to the young mascot. It's beautiful to see these kids and all the players on both teams were good. And then they walk out into this arena, which is absolutely bouncing. There's a big TIFO behind one end. And there he is, little Leo, who was just got to a match minding his own business with his mum and dad. He's suddenly on the telly, stood in front of Bruno Fernandes. Fantastic. So 
probably the only thing that made me smile in Copenhagen, apart from Carl delivering the goods once again, bag of Maltesers. Good lad. Well, if you want to read more about Andy's experience with the Ultras and Leo's experience in that game, Andy's got a piece up on The Athletic at the moment. There's Carl's take on exactly what happened in Copenhagen as well for you to read on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber and you want to have a look at those articles, you can sign up now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right, just before we preview Luton, um, there was a bit of a revelation, Carl, in Ten Hag's press conference before the game that Casimiro and Martinez, maybe less surprisingly, are going to be out until Christmas. What do you think that means for the team, considering Andy mentioned the two of the players in the leadership group, they were two of the players who formed the spine of what was a fairly successful United side last year, and we've got, what, two more months without them, at least. I think it means you're going to see a lot more of Christian Eriksen and Scott McTominay in central midfield. It's a partnership that, to my swatty mind, shouldn't work, and yet is getting some form of result, at least here and there. Eriksen is Manchester United's most precise passer. He's, he's the best player United had at slowing things down. I'm not saying he's amazing at it, but he's the best one they've got. And McTominay is in a chaotic run of form where he seems to be a legitimate goal-scoring threat. so It's remarkable his position in the team, isn't it? Considering he came so close to leaving in the summer and United seemed quite relaxed about that, Andy. Yeah, but he's got qualities which the manager thinks have been missing. The main one being that he feels that he's a goal threat. He brings aggression to the team. I think him, him as a professional, there's absolutely no qualms about that. And it was just said to me a week ago, Scott has to play. He has to play. How's it come to that, though? Mm, a combination of injuries, scoring one goal every three months, <laughs> the old team. And then he comes in and he bangs a few in. And then when he plays for Scotland, he looks like a cross between Marco van Basten and Maradona. Yeah, there is that. So maybe you sort of look at him through different eyes, like 10 pint eyes, and go, you know what? He's actually... <laughs> Fantastic, him. Bring him in. I I don't think Van Gaal and Ten Hag are similar football managers, but this does feel a little bit like when Van Gaal put Di Maria and Falcao on the bench for Ashley Young and Maran Fellaini. It's Ten Hag's insistence on having certain profiles, qualities on the field that means you can leave. Do you remember Fellaini at Anfield, though, that game where Man Mata scored those two goals and those balls from David De Gea up to Fellaini just sort of like partway into the Liverpool half? Like, honestly, it's tremendous. It was a thing of beauty. It's tremendous. Yeah. I don't oh, think I was. ever I laughed mean, hard. Just that day. Don't think it, it, I, it, it wasn't yeah. beautiful often, but that day. Yeah. And the, the 4 2 at home against City as well. That's it, the one. It, it really <laughs> did work that day as well, didn't it? Those yeah. little like triangles, one on the left wing, one on the right wing. And. Um, yeah, we didn't see much of that, did we? Right, let's preview Luton. <laughs> Got to beat these, Andy, haven't we? Bloody hell. Nah, I'm telling you now. Oh, dear. I won't, I won't be stunned if they won. Oh, come They're on. They're not going to draw because this team don't draw. Andy, Luton haven't won at Old Trafford ever. They have beaten Manchester United away from home, but it was in 1897. Manchester United oh, no. were called Just Newton Heath. Ian, stop, stop, And the stop, game was stop, played stop. at Bank You get me scared Street. now. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you get me scared. Yeah, and it's... Uh, <laughs> I used to hate Luton as a kid. Can you guess the attendance, by the way? 1897, Bank Street, Luton um, against Manchester United. A wa- 8,000 guess. Uh, yeah, it was registered at seven, so you're pretty oh, close. Oh, I'm having that. I'm having that. Very good. <laughs> An historical uh, shout there from Mr. Mitten. Very good. I, I didn't like him in the 80s because he always bought the smallest away following to Old Trafford. So you had all the pens behind the scoreboard end and a, a big club or a well-supported club like Newcastle would fill five, six, seven pens and Luton would fill one pen and people used to sing to Luton, you know, you must have come in a taxi. And then they went down and down and down and down. And they also were really influential in Manchester United losing the league in 1992 if any Leeds fans are listening they'll say you didn't lose it we won it which they're obviously right about as well and then I went to Luton in April and I met some wonderful people who were so proud of their town and their club and it's not a town that is often compared to New York or Paris Luton 
It's on its uppers. And they told me the most wonderful story about how aggrieved they were with the FA, how they went down to non-league football, how they've risen up, still in their stadium, which has barely changed, although they had to build a new little stand uh, this summer, and I, I watched um, developments. The ground uh, is ridiculous, isn't it? I three mean, times a day. Just the entrance to the away section yeah. is, is enough, isn't it? It's tiny, it's cramped, they can't do anything with it. They're going to build a new uh, stand. They planned on building a new stadium back in 1984. We're now in 2023. <laughs> That's even slower than that Fulham stand, isn't it? Yeah. I really respect their attitude to the Premier League this year. It's like, we know we're probably going to go down. We're not going to bankrupt ourselves. We're not going to go for Benito Carboni-style players like Bradford City is and ruin the club. We've got a fantastic no-dickhead policy here, which has served us really well. It's got us out of non-league football. Yes, you can laugh at our home, but we think it's a strength because people don't like coming here because it's small and it's intimidating. We're really proud of who we are. And they're so excited about coming to Old Trafford. They've printed out their itinerary. They've been given designated pubs. It's like, whoa, we're going on our first ever trip to a big football ground. Because for a lot of Luton fans, they can't remember going back to Old Trafford in up to the early 90s. I hope they get beat 6 0. <laughs> well, it was 5 0 the last time they came to Old Trafford, 1991. I'm sure yeah. you were, yeah. Do you yeah. remember the goal scorers? Tell me that Brian McClare scored one of them. He scored two off the bench, yeah. Right, and there you go. Paul Ince, Mark Hughes, and a penalty from Steve Bruce. I spoke to McClare the other day. I was on a train in Essex, right? And it was for an article in The Athletic, which we're not going to plug yet, but when you see it on Saturday morning, it's just top. I said, what's it like when 15,000 people are singing your name? He said, it is the most wonderful experience. And how many people get to experience that, you know? Your striker for Man United just put two in against Luton Town. We need someone to come off the bench and score two against Luton at the weekend. Do you know what? I'm just, I'm just not optimistic. I'm, re- I'm, I'm sorry, but th- this team do not fill me with much confidence at all. And even when United have won this season, the defeated team has often been the better side. Well, again, still, you know, we're, we're, we're talking earlier on in the podcast about the first what forty minutes of the game, forty-two minutes, wherever it was. Been really good for United, but still, it's not a complete performance. It's not. It's another game where we can say that United haven't played well for the entire match. There's still just that Crystal Palace League Cup tie, however long ago that was. Um, out of interest, do you remember the last time United scored five? Considering it was a five-no win against Luton last time. Last time United scored five. I wonder how many times that has happened in the post-Fergie era. Well, Solskjaer um, did it a lot compared to everyone else, yeah. in fairness to him. I've just given it away a little bit, but yeah. So it's a Solskjaer result. Yeah, even Moyes did it. Moyes went to buy Leverkusen and put five past them, played absolutely brilliantly. We're not even getting that with this team, you know. We're not even getting them one-offs. Uh, no, the, Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United have never scored five. Ralph Rangnick's didn't either. The, the tail end of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's didn't. The last time United scored five was a 5-1 win against Leeds on the opening um, yeah. weekend of, of Solskjaer's yeah. final season. Cool Pogba with four yeah. assists. Yeah, 21 that was. And he scored six against Leeds as well, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. McTominay was Season always brilliant before. against Leeds. <sighs> yeah, it feels a long time ago now that, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. I've asked this question so many times, Carl, already this season, but but what can change now? Is there anything United... I mean, Ten Hag, there's an article on The Athletic about taking the positives out of Copenhagen, which I guess there were some. I guess when you do peel back, you know, the awful defending in the second half, the decisions from the referee which undermined United's bright start. I guess that sort of beacon of that start is the vision that he wants to have and he wants to build. And the fact that the team was very similar to the Fulham side as well, you know, he, he seems to be wanting to try and get a settled team now that he can he can take forward. Am I really clutching at straws here? No, Both I think, your I faces think, suggest I think you're that I am. If, if Johnny Evans hadn't got injured, I think he would have repeated the same starting lineup. How has Raphael Varane ended up behind... I should have asked this question earlier. How has he ended up behind Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire? It, I mean, it's, it's a Di Maria, Ashley Young thing, right? So, Eric Ten Hag wants left-footed centre-backs. He wants a left-footer on the left, absolutely, and he wants some form of ball progression from your right centre-back. Johnny Evans is left-footed, offers angles and orientation, better in a tackle on the left-hand side. So, he will play left centre-back when... There is no Shaw when there is no Martinez. That's his role now. On the right centre-back, 
Rafael Varane's ability on the ball is not as good as Harry Maguire's. There are many, many United fans listening to this going, yes, but the point of a defender is to defend. And I agree with you to an extent. If if the ball is in open space and you want to stop that going in, Rafa Varane's your man. There were two or three crosses in into the box against FC Copenhagen and Varane was stood in the right place because he's better at knowing where to stand and hooking it away. However, one of the big opportunities that Copenhagen eventually scores from came from Rafa Varane having the ball being vaguely pressured and just going, I'm, I need to get rid of this. Whereas Maguire on right centre-back perhaps is a little bit calmer in those situations. And I mean, that is the th- this thing. is all great, but Rafa Varane has like won the Champions League multiple times. When Manchester United bought him, Andy, he was he was sort of recognised as one of the greatest centre backs in the world, and he's now a backup for someone who Manchester United signed on a free transfer in the summer, and another defender who has had a, a real renaissance in recent weeks. To be fair to him, but ju- just what a month ago he was nowhere near the team. Raphael Varane's fallen out of favour. But why, though? Asked the manager. He says tactics, but he he's fallen out of favour. Johnny Evans is now preferred over Raphael Varane. And Do you think times, he's fallen out with him then, or is it just a football thing, just a form thing? I'd, I'd rather have a hard evidence, you know, that there'd been an actual argument, and, and I don't have that, but I know that something is amiss, but I don't know what it is. Varane, last season, season before, in some of United's best games, he was one of the best. He was the player that you wanted him to be. I remember speaking to him after Spurs at home. Mm -hmm. Gosh, remembering how good United were against Spurs at home a year ago, and Arsenal at home, and Liverpool at home, and City at home, and Chelsea at home, and everyone at home. What, What on earth's gone on? Injuries, loss of confidence, lack of structure. And just the fear, right? It, that that's that's the really bad thing. That this is a team that you can you can smell the fear. It's not that they're they they're downing tools or they don't want to play, but when Copenhagen got that first goal, Andy, did you go? Here we go again. Yeah, the the, the confidence is extremely fragile. They must be feeling like that as well. This is it. Yeah. Right, Manchester United. We are. Manchester United were 2 0 up on the 42nd minute and they went in at half time. Okay, half time. They had a 13 minute injury time (laughs) due to two medical emergencies and a pitch invader. Due to like the the most weird and wonderful collection of things that's ever happened in the first half, anyway. It was a weird game, wasn't it? You conceded twice in 12 minutes after going down to 10 men. A confident team doesn't. Twice in four minutes. Twice in four yeah. minutes. And then twice in four minutes. Again. again you were 3-2 you were up in the 84th minute of a Champions League game against what is supposed to be, according to coefficients, the worst team in your group, and you lose 4-3. That, that is an above-shoulder problem as much as it is what you do with your feet. And I think that's why Andy is not feeling great about playing Luton, because Luton's entire thing is, we're going to go down, but we're going to fight and scratch and claw and give you everything. And then you're going to have to be, you know, are you willing to outwork us? And at this point in time, I, I honestly don't know how Manchester United are going to react. I don't know how these centre-backs are going to react when Carlton Morris is going to try and put an elbow on, right? Easy. Morris is, Carlton Morris is probably looking at Dallow and Wan-Bissaka's back post defending going, this will be fun. You know, you say confidence, Sam. I put this to someone. I'll show you that someone is, yeah? So you can see. Yeah. They said confidence is a strange word, Andy. I still think they believe in themselves, but but maybe not the team, the club, whatever. But at least they should do the three things well. Work hard, run around, get in shape, be difficult to play against. And then the nicer things of football will come naturally. But do they really know what working hard is? Well, I, I actually think two of those things they are doing. I mean, if you look at the output of some of these players... I, they're working hard. Maybe they're not working smart. I don't, I don't know what the, the the right term is for that. I mean, Bruno Fernandes has covered more ground, I think, than any other player, outfield player in the Premier League this season. Tenag sat in his press conference a couple of weeks ago and talked about winning the ball back. And I know we question what they ended up doing with that uh, ball once they won it back, but they still got the, the 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 qualities that they need to get the ball back. So there is elements of this side to suggest there, there are signs, sorry, in this side to suggest that they are working hard in a way. 
Um, but it's just how effective that actually has been. There was a moment late on in the second half, scores 3-2 to United. Garnacho gets fouled deep in United territory. He gets fouled, rolls about a bit, hops up, and Maguire walks up to him and goes, go back down on the floor. And Garnacho sort of, oh, okay. And then gingerly it gets back down on the floor. And you can see Maguire sort of pat his hand down. He's like, stay on the ground for a little Just bit. Just calm down a We're bit. We're down yeah. to 10 men. Yeah. We're about to take a free kick. Just stay on the ground for a little bit. Take take 20 seconds out of the game. And so you've got you've got work hard. Work hard is not just I am running around this football field and trying to play 100 miles an hour. It is more of those moments from Maguire going, take a minute. Just take a minute. Just just do that, right? It's, it's I still don't understand why Dallow looked, saw the Copenhagen player and then didn't react, right? He was... He was good for so many minutes of that game. Both him and Wan-Bissak were having good games. And then in those really critical pressurized moments where you are, you know, it's half a second, pay attention and they just switch off. And that's, that's the gap. That's the gap that's going to be the difference between United finishing higher than sixth in the Premier League this season. Andy, final word. And then into Luton, the fans are, Fans are unhappy again. Protests are planned again. We rarely go a podcast without mentioning the ownership issue, but it's still there. This big dark cloud still no hanging update. over the mothership. No update. Asked a week ago and got told within a couple of weeks we hope to know something. Yeah, there's plenty of things I hope for in the world, but they don't always come true. Yeah, Liz Hurley's still not answered <laughs> calls, has she? Um, but even the story about, you know, Sir Jim Radcliffe having money for the stadium. I mean, you sat on a stage, Andy, weeks ago now and revealed that uh, in yeah. Belfast when we were doing yeah. our live shows. So, you know, that that's not progression. That's not new news. That was, um, what, the 16th of October when I said that? And Laurie went, what? I went, yeah, yeah. That's for the people here who've come to see us in Belfast. Yeah, the cranes aren't up yet, are they? No. Building that main stand. <laughs> no, they're not. And this is the Glazers. They pause, they pause, they kick the can down the road and down the road. And I don't know where it ends up. I just hope there's a resolution to this because it's just not working. Get a result. No more injuries. Get into the international break. And then keep tinkering with those shapes and what Tenag wants. You remember the result before the last international break, don't you? Yeah. Just dance around the kitchen when it happened. <laughs> Go on, Scott. Yeah. That was that the late late show from Mr. McTominay. Right, well, uh, we tried. I hope there was some moments of of joy. I hope there was moments of insight. There were certainly moments of despair that we can share once again. But anyway, thank you uh, for listening as always, Andy and Carl. Thank you for being with us. We finally got together twenty four hours on from whatever happened in Copenhagen. I've still not found the right word. I think Andy hit the nail on the head when he said it right at the top of this podcast. Apologies to any of the children who might have heard that and are now asking questions to their parents about exactly what that word means. At least she's not talking about Manchester United. Anything to take your mind off it. We'll see you on the next one after Luton. As we always say, whatever happens. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Athletic.